Well, uh, we're uh, in this series, Living Fearlessly, and uh, there is a book out called uh, that uh, uh, Peter Gomer has written uh, called The Incomplete Book of Failures, and he goes through all kinds of failures that uh, people have had. His name is Stephen Pike, sorry. And um, he uh, talks about this guy named Arthur Pedrick, who has 162 patents on, in- on inventions, which you would think sounds very successful, right? But not one of these 162 inventions is being used commercially. They're strange things, like a bicycle that has amphibious abilities, or this contraption that allows you to drive the car from the back seat. I guess it gives a whole new meaning to a backseat driver. Uh, just all kinds of his golf balls, all kinds of golf inventions, golf balls that you can steer while in flight. I could use one of those uh, if I ever play golf. All kinds of crazy things. And he goes on to outline another number of other failures. But my favorite one is this. During World War II, the Russians decided to make up what they called dog minds. They had this ingenious idea that if they could teach dogs to associate the bottom of tanks with food, and this is very inhumane, by the way. Yeah, you got it. They would attach bombs to these dogs and they would blow up the enemy's tanks. Well, first day they tried this in battle... The dogs had associated food, evidently, only with Russian tanks. They mined the dogs. The dogs ran under an entire panzer division, had to retreat that day because the dogs blew up the Russian tanks. I think they probably classified that as a failure. You you know, we all have a story, don't we, about a failure of our own? And in fact, if a lot of us were honest in the room this morning, we would admit that there's a part of us that fears failure. So today, as we uh, continue this series, Living Fearlessly, I want to talk for a little bit about how it is that we can overcome our fear of failure. As you uh, came in this morning, you uh, were given a a rubber band. You go ahead and take that rubber band and uh, go ahead and put it on your finger and get ready to shoot. No, I'm just kidding. Please don't do that. But actually, if you see the person next to you falling asleep during the service, you do have my permission to shoot them then, okay? Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take that rubber band and I want you to Put it between your thumbs like this. Spread them out a little bit. And it's kind of goofy, okay? Play along with me here. Imagine that one side, one of these thumbs, represents the vision you have for what you'd like to be. The person that you'd like to become, the things that you'd like to do in life, the goals that you'd like to reach. Imagine one thumb represents that. Imagine that the other thumb represents where you are today, who you are as a person, where you're living in life right now. And and then realize that there is a gap between those things a lot of times in our lives, isn't there? There is a gap between who I want to be, the things I want to accomplish, the goals that I have, and where I actually am today. And there is some tension there. The gap is bigger for some of us than for others, but for all of us there is some tension between those things. And what separates those two things oftentimes and what keeps that tension there is our fear of failure. What is it that creates that? You can take the rubber band off your thumbs anytime you want. What is it, though, that creates that tension in your life? Maybe for you it's about relationships. And you know on one hand the kind of relationship that you would like to have, but you also know what it's like and you know the things you've said and the deeds that you've done And at times that tension makes you feel like you have failed. Maybe for you it's a career path. And on one hand, you had a dream one day of what you would someday do and become. But the reality is, on the other hand, you go to work every day and you know it's not your dream. 
And that tension that separates the two is often the fear of failure. Maybe for you it's your parenting, and on the one hand you know exactly the kind of parent that you would like to be, and yet on the other hand you wonder if some of the things you do as a parent isn't going to put your kids in therapy someday. And the tension in between is that fear of failure. Maybe for you it's a habit on one hand that you know you'd love to break, but there it just keeps creeping back into your life, and there is this tension of a constant failure. Maybe you've felt it. And you know what? Sometimes this tension that we feel can cause us to completely lose that vision and decide it's just easier to stay where I am. The risks are too great. I'll just be who I am right now. I want to look at a story in the Bible today. And this story is full of fear and faith and risk and failure. And it is full of this same tension, this tension of on the one hand knowing where I'd like to be and what I'd like to do, and on the other hand knowing where I am today. And it's about the fear that often separates the two. The story is found in Matthew chapter 14, and this story, I think, demonstrates to us why it is always better to risk failure than to grow complacent where we are right now. So if you brought your Bible, please open it up to Matthew chapter 14. And if you don't have a Bible, on the tables as you leave today, there are some Bibles. They are our gift to you. We want you to pick one up and have it as your own. And when you come back next week, uh, bring it with you so that you can follow along with us. Uh, Matthew's the very first book in the New Testament. We're in chapter 14. Now, the story that we're going to look at today, what's happened just before this, is that Jesus has fed the 5,000. And maybe you've heard that story before. 5,000 men gathered, so a lot of people, scholars believe that was as many as 10 to 15,000 people. And Jesus takes uh, just a couple of small uh, fish and some loaves of bread, and he multiplies it miraculously and feeds that entire crowd of people. And he's been teaching them all day, and after he's fed them, here's what happens beginning in Matthew 14, verse 22. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side, while he dismissed the crowd. And I don't know why Jesus makes them get in the boat. Maybe he knew they were fatigued and he needed to get them out of there for rest. Maybe they were starting to get a little bit of a big head. But all this power that Jesus had and how close they were to him and before the crowd made too big of a deal about it, he thought, I need to get them out of here. I don't know, but he gets them in the boat. Verse 23, after he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Now, we could do a whole another lesson right here, but just as a side note and it's really a side note let me just say notice jesus here the son of god who realizes in his life the need to get alone and talk to god now if he needed that don't you think we need that regularly in our lives to get alone somewhere regularly and talk to god it continues when evening came he was there alone but the boat was already a considerable distance from the land buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it During the fourth watch of the night, it was divided into four watches, and so this would have been somewhere probably between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. And imagine if you were out on the river or the gulf at night and the waves are bouncing the boat a little bit and it's dark and you saw someone coming across the water, you'd probably think it was a ghost too. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. And then I love Peter. Peter says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, Jesus says. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. 
Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why do you doubt? And when they climbed to the boat, the wind died down. And then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. You know what? In this story, Peter, Peter feels that same tension that we often do in life. The tension between where we want to be, in this case, walking with Jesus on the water, and where we actually are today, sitting in the boat. Now let me ask you something. Who's the big failure in this story? Well, it's Peter, of course, right? Peter's the one who fails here. I mean, Peter is the one who walks on water and then takes his eyes off Jesus and suddenly he is a what? Miserable failure, right? Now, the wind was pretty rough. The waves were bouncing them around. It was the dark of night. And in the midst of all this, Peter sort of eases his way to the side of the boat. I think he sticks one leg over and holding tightly to the side. And maybe he pauses there for just a minute, contemplating what he's about to do. And then he gets the courage up to swing that other leg, leg over the side of the boat. And somewhere in there, he lets go. And he puts one foot in front of the other. And for the first and only time in history, a regular, ordinary, flesh and blood guy is walking on the water. And then he takes his eyes off of Jesus for a moment and whoosh sinks right down in the water. And I don't know how many lessons I've heard on on Peter's failure. Well, let me ask you, is Peter really a failure here? I mean, after all, doesn't he walk on water? I mean, how many of you have done that in your lifetime? I didn't think so. Let me tell you who I think were the biggest failures on this night. It's the 11 guys who were still in the boat. It's the 11 guys who never risk it to get out of the boat. And you know what? For us, that's one of the options. When we feel that tension in our life between where we want to be and where we find ourselves today and fear separates those two, one of our options is to do just what those 11 guys did to stay right in the boat, and to be a boat sitter. I mean, it's safer there, isn't it? It's comfortable there. Doesn't it make sense just to to stay in the boat? You know, you can live a whole life of failure avoidance just by staying in the boat. You can decide just to pull that whole vision of who you might be or who you could be. You could just decide to pull that right back in and stay right there where it is safe and secure in the boat. But maybe... Maybe we need to redefine failure. You see, failure is not not fulfilling our dreams. Failure is failing to dream in the first place. Failure is not falling down. Failure is not getting back up when we fall down. Failure is not getting out of the boat, walking on the water, and then sinking Failure is never getting out of the boat in the first place. You know what? The boat, I understand. The boat was safe and secure and comfortable. And the water was high and the waves were rough and the wind was strong and the the night was dark. Why not just stay in the boat? 
I mean, if I get out of the boat, I may sink, right? But you know what? If you don't get out of the boat, you'll never walk on water. You see, there's more than one option here. There is another option besides just staying in the boat. But a lot of us at times choose just to be boat sitters and to stay right there. And you know what it leads to? It leads to a life that we never fulfill our longings and our dreams. It's a life of just existing. In fact, I like what Greg Lovey has written. He writes this poem and he says this, Until weeks become months and months turn into years. And one day you're looking back on a life of deep, intimate, gut-wrenchingly honest conversations that you never had. Great, bold prayers you never prayed. Exhilarating risk you never took. Sacrificial gifts you never offered. Lives you never touched. And you're sitting in a recliner with a shriveled soul and forgotten dreams. And you realize there was a world in desperate need and a great God calling you to be part of something bigger than yourself, you see the person you could have become but did not. You never followed your calling. You never got out of the boat. God, save us from boat sitting. Because there is another option. The other option, when we feel that tension when we feel that tension between who we'd like to be and what we'd like to accomplish and what we could do and where we are today and fear stands in between the two of them, the other option is to do what Peter did and swing your legs over the side of the boat, take the risk and become a water walker. Now, I think Peter in this story demonstrates some important principles, principles that if we could really fully comprehend them, principles that if we would really live them out, one day we find ourselves swinging our legs over the side of the boat and moving beyond the fear of failure. One of these principles that I see is found in back in verse 28. It says this. Peter's speaking. It says, Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. And then Jesus' response is very simple. He simply says, come. Do you catch in this story that Jesus is the one who invited Peter to take the risk? Jesus says to Peter, come on, do it, go for it. And because it was Jesus who offered the invitation to take the risk, Peter knew it was a risk worth taking. Now, you know what? If the other 11 guys in the boat that day had said, hey, Peter, wind's pretty strong out here. Well, why don't you throw your legs over the side of the boat and go for a little walk on the water? See what happens. I don't think that would have been great wisdom on Peter's part to give that a try. But because it was Jesus who offered the invitation, it was a risk worth taking. And the same is true in our lives. You know what? If Jesus is the one offering the invitation, if Jesus is the one inviting us to take the risk, then it's a risk worth taking. They say, well, how do I know that? Let me try to illustrate a little bit. Several months ago, really just a couple of months ago, we... Uh, we're in a series called The Generosity Journey. And one of those weeks, we talked about our own personal finances in relationship to being generous towards God. And there were some people around here who heard God's invitation during that series. 
people who maybe had been giving a little but really hadn't been tithing, giving 10%, hadn't been fully trusting God with their finances. And some of their stories have filtered back to our staff. And you know what? They heard Jesus' invitation and they decided to take the risk financially. And so they have been giving more generously to God. And they are experiencing God's blessing as they do that. And you know what? If it wasn't God's invitation, that might not be worth the risk, but it is His invitation when it comes to our finances. God is the one who said, if you'll trust me. And you know what? To those people who stepped out and did that, it seemed risky, I'm sure. But they have discovered it was worth the risk because Jesus is the one who gives the invitation. Do you realize this morning that parenting was God's idea? That marriage is God's idea? That working for a living is God's idea? That sharing the story about Jesus has impacted your life is God's idea? There are so many things like this in life. They were God's idea. And so to be a better parent or to have a healthy marriage or to invest in relationships or to risk sharing my faith or to risk working for a living, those are all things that God has invited us to do. He's the one who's offered the invitation. So wouldn't it be worth the risk to overcome the fear that often separates us. Let me illustrate another way. And let me be just really transparent with you this morning. And tell you, there are some areas in my life where I personally struggle sometimes with the fear of failure. I don't like to mess up. I don't like to fail. And uh, if you uh, got the email this week, you know we have uh, been in the process of searching for a new worship and creative arts pastor, and uh, Rick Setzer, who was here last week and led our worship, uh, has accepted our offer, and we'll uh, begin in just a couple of weeks as our new uh, worship and creative arts pastor. I'm very excited about that. Great young man, and I believe he's going to do a great job. But here's the part of the story I want to tell you in relationship to that. And I've told our shepherds and our staff this. During this whole several-month-long process of searching, I have placed a tremendous amount of pressure on myself to make sure that we hired the right person. I've just felt like it was very important to our church that the right person end up in this position. And so I have placed an immense amount of pressure on myself to the point that I grew to where I really feared failure. And I went through the motions of what I needed to do in this search process, but every step of the way, I was afraid. I was afraid I'd get it wrong and I'd fail. Until I started working a couple of weeks ago, on this message series. And God made it really clear to me one day, Jeff, how can you talk about overcoming fear when you are living in the midst of this huge fear in your own life and you are letting it almost paralyze you? And I had to say, God, you're right. And I can't tell you that in that moment I was able to let go of the whole thing, but I was much better because I was reminded that, you know what? It's God's church. It's not mine. And God is the one who has invited us to risk reaching out to our community. God is the one who has invited us to try to make a difference here. And it's not up to me. And I shouldn't risk failing because of the one who offered me the invitation. Because it was Him, it's worth swinging my feet over the boat. And I don't know. You know, I assume we got it right. Who knows? But I'm trusting God and it was worth the risk. There's another thing here. Notice what it says in verse 29, the last part of it. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Do you notice what happens here? Peter takes his eyes off of Jesus. And so here's the principle. 
when you swing your legs over the boat and you take the risk, you keep your eyes on Jesus. Peter did what we often would do. He got distracted by the wind and the waves. And when he got distracted, he began to sink. As long as he had his eyes on Jesus, everything was okay. And the same thing happens to us, doesn't it? When we pay more attention to the storm than we do to the one who calms the storm, we begin to sink as well, don't we? And when we are faced with that tension in our life of moving beyond where I am today to where I could be in the future and where God may be calling me to be, I've got to keep my eyes focused on Jesus. There's an old uh, documentary type movie called The Bear. And uh, in this movie, The Bear, there I guess there's really, I've never seen it, but I read about it this week, and I guess there's not a lot of dialogue. And basically, it follows the story of this little cub bear who tragically loses his mother in an accident, but is kind of adopted by a big daddy Kodiak bear. And this dad raises this little bear and shows him how to hunt and how to take care of himself. Well, one day, the bear kind of want, little cub bear wanders off and a mountain lion starts stalking him, trails him, follows him, and then begins to chase him. At one point, he strikes at the bear and cuts his face and the bear keeps running. And then he does, I guess, what his dad probably had trained him to do. At some point, he turns around and gets up on his hind legs and makes himself as tall as he can and lets out a growl. But he's just a baby bear still, and so it's not much of a growl. I thought about imitating it, but I really couldn't come up with a sound that I thought was appropriate. But to his probably amazement, that mountain lion turned and ran away. And then the camera pans out, and about 20 feet behind the little cub bear was Daddy Kodiak Bear, who was also up on his hind legs and let out an adult-like growl, and the mountain lion ran. And I'm sure if you could have asked... You could have asked that bear that day. Um, I hate to fear failing, you know. (laughs) If you could have asked that bear that day, that little cub bear, he would have said, there is nothing that my dad and I can't handle. And if you would have asked that little cub bear, how big is your dad? He would have said, he's so big. And when Peter climbed back in the boat that day, And the other disciples asked him, how big is Jesus? I think Peter would have said, he is so big. He can walk on water and he can rescue me when I sink. In fact, listen to what Peter said in verse 32, what's recorded here. And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him saying, truly, you are the Son of God. Code for, he is so big. And friends, we have to keep our eyes on Jesus. When we step out of the boat, when we swing our legs over the side of the boat and go for it, we have to keep our eyes on Jesus. There's a wonderful lady in our church. Uh, she and her husband, Carl and Kathy Sorensen. And uh, a lot of you know that uh, a couple weeks ago they discovered that uh, they thought Kathy had cancer. And uh, this week they did some surgery, and uh, when she got the news, it was not necessarily good news. The cancer was larger and spread farther in her body than they had realized. And so I've been to the hospital to see her a couple of times. 
once they have received that news. And I got to tell you, both times that I went to see Kathy, I thought I, I'm going to, you know, try to cheer her up a little, encourage her, remind her of the greatness of God. You know who got reminded of that? Yeah, me. Because Kathy has her eyes firmly on Jesus, and she's well aware of the battle that lies ahead of her in the weeks to come. But in the midst of that, Kathy is positive, and she has her eyes clearly focused on Jesus. I've heard her say more than once, God is ahead of me, and all kinds of people are praying for me behind me. I'm ready to go. I'm convinced that she is, because she has her eyes on Jesus. Hebrews chapter 12 says this, We must keep our eyes on Jesus, who leads us and makes our faith complete. Keep your eyes on Jesus. There's one more principle found in verse 31. It says this, Immediately, Jesus reached out His hand and caught Him. You of little faith, He said, Why did you doubt? Remember, when you swing your legs over the boat, He will always be there to rescue you. Because you know what the reality is? Sometimes we will sink. Sometimes we're going to swing our legs over to the side of the boat and we're going to jump in. We're going to try to overcome that tension and that gap that lies between where we'd like to be and where we are today. And sometimes, sometimes we'll sink. But that's okay. Because Jesus will always be there to rescue us. He'll always be able to be there to pull us out of the water to pick us up from our mess, to brush us off from our failures, and to continue to love us. And so you see, the choice is ours. We can stay in the boat where it feels safe and secure. Or we can choose at some point to swing our legs over the side of the boat and to take the risk. To risk the failure. Because you know what? Some of those times when we swing our legs over the boat, We're going to walk on water. And we're going to accomplish things that we never would have accomplished if we'd have been satisfied to simply stay in the boat. You know what? For some of you here this morning, one of your greatest fears, maybe your fear of failing is this, one of your greatest fears is really trusting Jesus with your life. Uh, You've heard and you have grown maybe to believe even That Jesus loves you, that He died on the cross, that you are guilty of sin, but that Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty of your sin, and that you can have forgiveness of all of those sins, that God will wipe them away, that God will forget them, that you'll have the promise of spending eternity with God in heaven, that all that can be yours if you simply would trust Jesus to be your Savior and to be the leader of your life. But for whatever reason, you have been afraid to take the risk and to really trust Him. My hope today is that maybe today would be the day that you decide, you know what? I'm going to swing my legs over the side of the boat and I'm going to trust Jesus with my life. You know what? At the end of our time together this morning, our prayer team will be along the sides and I'll be right down here in the front. And if today's the day you'd like to talk to somebody about trusting Jesus to be the leader and Savior of your life, why don't you come have that private conversation with us? and make the day the day that you trust Him. God, would You help us in our lives to overcome the fear of failure? God, would You redefine in our minds what failure really is? God, would You help us to move to the point that we would swing our legs over the side of the boat 
and we trust you. God, help us to overcome this fear. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.